0: Hello and welcome to Beauty and the Beat. I am your host, Betsy Zane, and I'm joined by my co hosts, Sophia Bratt and Amanda Van Anu. At Beauty and the Beat, we aim to inspire you by talking honestly and openly from matters of the heart to make-up or breakups, health and wealth, nutrition or maybe your ambitions, fashion or fashion faux pas. So come, sit back and relax and join us as we delve deep. Hi, and welcome to our fifth episode of Beauty and the Beat. Today, we are going to talk to you about love and marriage and discuss whether marriage is a dying institution. Marriage is something that is ingrained in most of us from childhood and is a legal and formal union between two consenting adults as life partners in a personal and loving relationship as a foundation of adult life. We find the perfect partner and swear our allegiance till death do us part and seemingly live a life of pure harmony. So while are we finding that a high percentage of marriages end in divorce, with more than one out of four marriages failing within the first five years? It seems the Institute of Marriage may be in crisis as some believe the consumer or throwaway culture has contributed to the breakdown of marriage and that nowadays people are encouraged to believe that there will always be something bigger and better around the corner. I am your host, Betsy Zane, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Amanda Annan and Sophia Brad. Welcome back. And we are here to discuss and deliberate the age old question is marriage and a dying institution. Even though divorce rates have risen, most of us still do believe in love and marriage. But are we just looking to society and that need to seek approval and validation? Would it be safe to say that we have lost our way with the notion that love and marriage are sustainable and what it really means to us? So, ladies, over to you. What do you think about marriage? Is it a dying institution? Well, Betsy, thank you for that great introduction about marriage.
1: Out of the three of us here, Betsy is actually the only one that's been married. But... We all have friends that have been married. So I guess I can contribute my little two cents into this and talk about it. Well, personally, you know, when I think about marriage in a dying institution, I think, you know, we have to go back to thinking what is marriage in the first place? Why do people get married? You know, you kind of meet the love of your life, you go to a church, a mosque, or a Buddhist temple, or whatever it is, and you form a union, and that union is supposed to carry you through the rest of your life. Now, in 2020, a lot of people are getting divorced, which is one of the reasons why Betsy's asking this question is, you know, is this thing dying? I mean, I think personally for me, love is a human need that's defined by your emotional well being. Now, I also feel like in today's world, everyone is stressed, everyone is very busy, they hardly have any time for themselves. And You know, people are putting marriage on the back burner because they're like obsessed with things like making money, you know, making sure they have enough money when they're old. Some people actually feel like marriage is kind of a burden because they feel like if I get married, I have to take care of my wife, my child. I mean, that's for men, even though us women do work these days. But people feel like it's a burden. They want to be free. They want to be single. Part of it is we are living longer. Women in their 40s are looking like 20 men in their fifties are looking like 30. You know, we are living longer. Our lifespan once upon a time was 40 years old. Then it was like about 60 years old. So you'd meet someone in your twenties and you know you only have 30 years to go and you'll probably be dead. Now, most people are getting married three times. You know, they have the starter wife, the middle-aged wife and the wife they need when they're about to die because they need someone to take care of them. Just don't be that wife. Anyway, Sophia, what do you think?
2: Well, just like you said, only Betsy has that experience under her belt and can speak from her own experience. I've never been married. I've only had one um, serious relationship in my life. I do not think that marriage is like a dying institution, but I think it's something that people think about a little bit um, deeper these days. They don't seem to rush into it you know in past it was like a religious celebration to get married and it meant an awful lot of security for the woman and even all the way until like 1950s i think marriage was something that all women strived for now with um equality and women being in higher positions i think we no longer kind of need to get married for the security thing because women can really take care of themselves financially. They're quite independent in many different areas. So marriage is shifting into like a different institution, in my opinion. I think marriage is like a union of two people that are in love, a modern marriage anyway. But still people are quite hesitant doing that because obviously there's many reasons why people are hesitant To do that because I think a lot of people these days are quite scared of commitment. Like you touched on, there's so many different opportunities to meet people these days. People kind of get a little bit hesitant about um, settling down. But I feel like if you meet someone that you truly love and you want to declare your love to each other, I think marriage is a lovely way to do that. And I would hope that one day, (laughs) one day I'll get the chance. To marry someone that I truly love and want to spend the rest of my life with. And obviously now at my older age, I'm 35 now, I'll be hoping that if I meet someone and get married, I wouldn't be the start to wife. I would be somewhere in the middle, hopefully, all the way down till the end.
0: I think uh, you've all made some really valid points there, and I totally agree with you, both of you. I think for me, you know, today a lot of people, um, there are a lot of skeptics out there with young people falling into this bracket and, you know, significantly more likely to think that marriage is an outdated idea. We all have marital dreams, and I think we've all been brainwashed to believe in that we'll meet the perfect person, you know, live happily ever after, and, you know, envisage a life full of perfect bliss you know, having the perfect job we've always wanted, living the perfect, in the perfectly bought house with 2.4 children. I do believe that, you know, we have also fallen into the pitfalls of needing to be married, you know, by a certain age, which you've said. And also, you know, that marriage is, is a status symbol that, you know, needs to be upheld. I think it seems that, you know, for most people, we often think that, you know, marriage is a leap of faith and without giving it a great deal of thought, And about the person that, you know, we'll be living with for the rest of our lives. I believe for most couples, it's not just enough to form a union or stay together, but to have a relationships that, you know, that are meaningful and satisfying. You know, knowing who you are, what you have to offer and what you truly want for a relationship are key to finding lasting love.
1: So when we go back to marriage as a dying institution... I think one of the things we should think about is why is it dying? Um, because it is kind of dying, because people are not getting married sometimes till fifties, you know, yeah, sixties <laughs> even, especially men, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of people are looking at it. I think people are looking at marriage more now like an opportunistic mm-hmm. partnership. A lot of people, I find that it also depends on income strata. I find like when it comes down to middle and, you know, just like working class people, a lot of people get married because, you know, they fall in love, they want to be happy, and they still have this notion. But a lot of people from middle class, like upper middle class upwards, a lot of them are very strategic in their marriages these days. Let me give you examples. Older men will marry a young woman. That has been time immemorial, but they'll marry these days, they're looking for a young model to make. All their older friends feel jealous, strategic. He's got the money. She needs to have a living. He knows she doesn't really like him. She knows he knows, but she's there for the money and she's there for the security. Second case trophy wife. <laughs> exactly. But trophy wives normally come in all forms. It doesn't matter the age, you know, really, because a trophy wife can be a Amal Clooney who got married in her 30s. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. A trophy wife can be Betsy Zane, who's gorgeous, who's a model, who's like an international model. A trophy wife can be Sophia Brad. It can mm-hmm. be anybody. You know, we are all beautiful. But what I'm trying to get out of here is the psychological part of it, yeah. where, you know, yeah. like Sophia, you would talk about how people don't love themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes when you don't love yourself, you're looking for things that complement, that can fulfill that need, not complement, mm-hmm. actually, fulfill that need. In other ways, yeah. So you find these very strategic, like you'll find two famous actors will just get together because it's good for their publicity. And after two years, when they've had children, then they split up because, you know, they don't really love each other. They met and said they had sex, they thought it was great. Oh, everybody's talking about them. Let's get married. How many times has um, Tamara Eccleson or Petra and those girls been married, you know, or had boyfriends, rich daddies, girls who thought, I'm looking for love. I found the perfect guy. I want to marry him because I want to create that dream. I've got all this money in the world. And they marry this guy and he turns out to be scum artist, you know, or whatever. So I feel like a lot of people are moving strategically to find their partners Mm -hmm. because they're trying to match a mirror for their life that they want the outside to see rather than looking for love.
0: Yeah, which is like...
2: grand marriage.
0: Yes, Yes. and and it's funny you should say, because when you talk about, you know, marriage being public, you know, I think for me, you know, social media also has an effect on marriage. And I think social media has contributed to people, you know, readily flaunting their weddings and honeymoons on social media platforms. And it has brought the idea of having the best, the biggest and the most elaborate weddings, be it a a celebrity or not, you know, and, and it has now become about naming the design of your shoes, your dress, you know, how many bride, how many is in your bride apartment or even, you know, who has has captured the best pictures for the world to see. It has become lost to the idea and it's more public and weddings are more of a, a, like you say, a status symbol that you receive for doing it well, for example.
2: I do feel like a lot of times like marriage almost kind of feels like a transactional relationship like you were saying, Amanda, a man brings his status, his money, his position, his ability to provide for the family. Woman brings her youth, her beauty, her ability to give him um, children, to create a home and things like this.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Then you have couples that, you know, a woman's a model and the guy's a photographer. He takes pictures of her and um, she's got a big following, so he can benefit out of that or maybe moving to like a different industry with her. Then they come together on these terms like, I'll do this for you, you'll do that for me. Then it becomes a relationship. Then they go and bounce off each other's platforms, make it like really like interesting, especially when, you know, when they run out of topics to talk about it by themselves on Instagram, then they do a joint account or like something like that. And it's just pushing them to another another place where they can get more followers from like different backgrounds interested in their private life and things like that I feel like a lot of times relationships are based on like a transaction I give you this you give me this and then together we do this and that and I feel like it's almost becoming like a business sometimes when people get together and then they got in the marriage I feel like you know obviously the rise of like prenuptial agreements and things like that it makes it feel like it's a transaction what are your thoughts ladies yeah
0: it's very true and I think you know it it has become you know a culture of who can outdo who or what we refer to as a consumer culture it's very spot on ladies
1: yeah but you know part of it is like when Sophia you talk about people like photographer and model you know like it's transactional I totally agree with you but you Mm know Part of what you said, actually, is also what a marriage should be about. Because I think the best marriage is also work when you can partner up as a couple. Yes, and you have common interest. Hi- yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you raise yourself higher. So, you know, he could be a businessman and you're helping him with his books and you're helping mm-hmm. grow the business at home whilst he's going out to get clients. You know, that's what relationships are about, where you can grow each other. I guess a lot of things today, people are also using it as a marketing tool. Yes. So you know, you see all these couples now where the guys all fit, the girls hanging on him. They photoshop the picture, so yep. they're basically selling you a dream. dream. Yeah, so just been- magazines saying like,
2: "Oh, our relationship is perfect," even though it's not. It's all pictures. You they're probably shooting down it. down in- to society again, like exactly. the pressure of like being here and there and everywhere and settling down by a certain age. We buy into it because it's been drilled into us for so long, and I feel like it's drilled into girls. More often, because to be able to land a man, a man with like status or someone that's going to take care of you was the main goal for women for centuries.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're very right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been drilled into a lot of women that if you don't have your perfect partner, say like by thirty, twenty-eight probably, or you don't marry a guy with certain status, you know, you are nobody. And unfortunately, um, social media is perpetuating that. But what is happening on social media is a lot of people are actually going out and pretending. So they're like, mm-hmm. you know what? My man might not be the best and I may not be the best and we may not live in this glamorous house, but guess what? Let's just pretend like we do. Let's make yes. it to make it. And so people are doing that. So their marriages still have problems behind the telephone screen. Mm-hmm.
0: But yes, right. To it's the like public. living a line. Yes, living in Yeah, line to the, the, the public.
1: Mm-hmm. They think... Everything is okay. And so, like going back to the is marriage a dying institution, I think part of it's also is because of our throwaway culture. Like I think Betsy said or something. Yeah, we throw things. everything away. Mm-hmm. Everything is like, yeah, I use this dress, I do this, everything. And life is moving so fast. Mm-hmm. And what I notice, a lot of men are under pressure. So what's going on now is a man meets a girl, he falls in love, he wants to be with her in his heart, but he'll go to the girl. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because there's this social pressure he's afraid of either introducing her to his friends, or what are they gonna say? Because she's not a supermodel, or she's not an Instagram famous. Like he's basically trying to aspire. So unless he gets someone that is in his aspirational diaspora, mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, and you know, it's funny because he's going against what he wants. Yes, yeah, but he's trying to. Two And I think people have always done that. Don't get me wrong. People have always had arranged marriages, marriages because of convenience, marriages mm-hmm. for money, marriages because of family. But now it's accentuated by Instagram because yeah. they're like, oh, you know what? Guess what? If I marry her, it's going to make us look good. I mean, I know so many supermodels that married guys that were not as rich as they were, playboys. They knew those guys were playboys, but they got to that age, like Sophia said, where I want to get married. You know, so they marry this guy. He's like maybe a basketball player or something, They're not famous, not as rich as they are. And they'll marry the guy because it looks good. Mm-hmm. He's a basketball player. She's a supermodel. They get married. A lot of those supermodels are divorced now mm-hmm. because those playboy guys are still Playboys. Yeah. Even they're married to the supermodel. Yes.
0: Because they didn't marry the love of their life. That's right. And you know, Amanda, you said something very interested and interesting before. And and uh, you know, I'm going back to the part where you said, you know, it's difficult nowadays to maintain discipline, you know, and trust in your decision making because there's so many external, you know, influences. And I believe that people should just trust in their decision making when it comes to choosing their partners. You know, even though when they look at social media, for example, you know, somebody else may appear more attractive or more together, but it does come to like, you know, the perception and what people put out there make us believe what is who they are and and what they're all about. So one thing
1: we can come, a conclusion we can have on this is that part of the reason that the institution of marriage is dying is just because of all this, these new things that people Want, they want to achieve. And now it's like, even if you get married to someone and you're under social pressure, that is accentuated because, oh my God, on Instagram, what are they going to say? What are they going to say on Facebook? It's just not, you know, the answer I have for people here is marry the love of your life, marry the person you love. It always works out because when you get to your 60s, 70s, 80s, you are going to realize that everything you thought that mattered really does not matter.
2: Mm-hmm. So you really touched on the topic, how it's a throwaway culture, mm-hmm. like it makes me remember the story like about my grandparents. So when they met, they were young, they were in their early 20s. This was like maybe the early 60s. Yeah. And when they got married, the families put together some money so that they can buy furniture and then like just furnish all their house and get all appliances that they need. And back in the days, they were making these things out of really sturdy materials like steel, wood, glass, everything that was meant to last you for a long time. So when they moved in, they would have the furniture and everything to last the whole marriage. If something got broken, my granddad was a very handy man, so he would fix it or they would call um, if it was like an appliance that they couldn't fix, they would call somebody that you know knew how to fix it so back in those days when things broke people worked on it now because we're in a consumer slash throwaway culture people were like okay well it's broken it's not working so i'm just going to get a new one i'm going to get an upgrade and they just move from one thing to another and they just constantly want the newest the bestest thing they want exactly like you were touching on the subject they want People on Instagram and social media to be like, oh, he, she's got like the newest version of this and that. Oh, my God. Like PS5, for example, right now. Yeah. Oh, my woman got me a PS5 or I've got the new iPhone and this and that. So such a consumer world, people showing off with the newest technology. It's such a sad time that we're living because people no longer want to work on things. I feel people don't feel like they should be fixing stuff. They just give up. They give up at the first inconvenience, and I'm not sure if if this is linked to marriage being a dying institution, but I feel like people just cannot commit to one person or cannot imagine having that one person by their side who they can grow with, who they can have a balanced relationship. Like I'm good at this, you're good at that. We're going to make it work together. I'm going to help you with the things that you're not so good at and you're going to help me with the things that I'm not so good at. There will be arguments, there will be things that might not be comfortable, but people should want to learn from that person to grow. And I feel like unless you're spiritually in tune and like understand spirituality and understand how relationships work or should work or like in order for you to grow and learn, then people just throw it away because they don't really care. All they care about is whether they have the newest upgrade. Sophia,
0: you really made, I mean, really interesting points. And what I think for me as well, when we speak about the olden days was that many of us, our family and friends really had a big impact in our relationships and our marriages. And it's true to say that, you know, even if, you know, there was a breakdown somewhere, you would find that family would get involved friends would get involved you know your friends and family played a big role in being present in your relationships even when it came to children and you know being celebrating events like it was a very big part of you know you had a community keeping the whole institution together because you know you know you all had shared common ground that you know you you find a partner you come together and you live happily so called ever after But I think, like you said, with today's throwaway society, it means that we are so encouraged by like what we see on on the different platforms and what people, you know, people that will, you know, encourage you because we have not even just people, but we have things like apps, you know, dating apps that that encourage you to then go and seek for other relationships outside because it's, well, if it doesn't work, you know, there's a way to fix
2: it. It's, it's available, available. everywhere. Yeah. People no longer have to hide and like seek partners that they can cheat with. It's right there in front of them on their exactly. phone. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Easy access, wherever you look, from the, whether it be on Instagram, seeing all the beautiful women posing nakedly or whatever. It's just out there for us, for the People taking.
2: don't care anymore about infidelity as much as they did before. It's like, yes. it's like a standard thing now. Oh, so, so what? I cheated. hmm It makes my blood boil because, of course, not everything's going to be rosy, but people don't want to work on things. That's what makes me upset. Mm -hmm. That's very true.
1: I want to pick up on two points. Mm -hmm. One that Sophia said, which was about the throwaway culture and what Betsy was talking about, which is family. First, I'm going to talk about the family thing. Mm -hmm. That was really right. I liked the fact that, you know, that is actually true. Families kept the marriage institution together now there was a good and bad of that because as right. we know there were arranged marriages there were younger marriages there were girls that got married too early there were people that were married in loveless marriages there's a reason i'm talking about all this is because though families kept the institution together there was also like everything has a double-edged sword, sword however I agree. I agree. however what i also want to mention is the reason i had to mention that is i want to talk about the importance of culture So what I'm realizing is what's happening in the whole world is a breakdown in culture and an exportation of American culture to the whole wide world. American culture is very individualistic. It's you are yourself, you do what you want, you're free, if you're a human being, free spirit, you know, it's a great concept. But when we look at how society is maintained or evolved, we need culture. In the modern democratic culture, like, you know, anyone can do anything if they like it. There's no, there's kind of no individual checks and balances. No about boundaries. boundaries. No yeah. boundaries, because mm-hmm. you're a free individual. But when you look at tradition, a lot of traditional cultures, you can see why society has been prolonged for so long. Even though we don't agree with some of it today, because you could be like, no, that's not right. You can see that it kept these things Because people wondered, why were they so strict about this? Or why was this, this, this? But that's what kept us together. And that's what kept the institution of marriage alive, you know? And then going to the throwaway culture, it's funny when you talk about that, because I think in terms of spirituality, because isn't it funny how, you know, you talk about furniture and about how people Mm -hmm. didn't throw away furniture then they fixed it. But think about this. Before our throwaway culture of these individuals came Ikea. So you Mm -hmm. see, we... Our you know, kind of reflects on the outside because Ikea is a throwaway culture. It's all made of cheap wood. You know, it breaks down after a while. It looks lovely, but most people wouldn't even repair it. They'll just be like, you know what? My Ikea bed's broken. We're
0: going to buy another. Mm
1: -hmm. We're going to buy another. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Everything became prefab. And that prefab has also come into our life. Because if you look at things like Ikea and stuff. I mean, they have great stuff and they've got better, but you know, they've got better. And even I buy Ikea. I mean, but what I'm saying is that, you know, it's that thing where it all looks shiny on the outside mm-hmm. and it's empty on the inside. Yes, well, And that's is. exactly
2: what's going on in here. But this is what I'm saying things are not made from materials that are meant to last. So everything we put into relationships is half-arsed, half-hearted. It's not the real thing. We don't get into that union with things that we've already worked on, with things like with the right intentions almost, you know? We don't have a right intentions anymore. It's not to procreate. It's not to create a secure home anymore it is just oh let's just have this fancy wedding and like take some pictures and then uh, live together for a year or two and then whatever i don't care like we don't go into it with right intentions and that is the cheap material that goes into ikea flat pack furniture and not like the expensive italian furniture handmade Exactly,
1: exactly. But isn't it funny how that's become our life today? Because Mm -hmm. on Instagram, everyone's just generating content. They call it content generation. And it's not necessarily, to be really honest, I don't even look at Instagram much. I just post things for the podcast, for my own personal things. I use Instagram as a marketing tool because it takes too much time in my day. But going back to other reasons why marriage is a failing institution, we've talked about compatibility, but I think a big one which I think we need to hit the nail on the head on this bitch is financial compatibility. Mm-hmm. That has become a big thing. Where people are either marrying because they need the guy to take care of them. It's always happened, but now even men are doing it. I've seen men that like, you know, really attracted to a particular girl, but they will marry her because they want to marry that rich girl who's inherited daddy's money. And because she's inherited daddy's money, it's going to help them up their status. Mm-hmm. And another thing we have to realize is that after the Second World War, people were still getting married. There was that thing you wanted to start a family, build a yeah. new life together, everything. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. we're about, I mean, 60, 70 years, 60 years after the Second World War is whatever, six, seventy, eighty years 80 years or years. whatever. Yeah. What has happened is you've got third generation people that have built wealth from the grandfather to the father to the. So now in the world, there's also more than ever a large amount of young people with a lot of money from parents, not necessarily their money. They're more than they used to be when I was growing up because, you know, Mm -hmm. now those people have had their children. So you find these young 25 year olds, there's even more of them, you know, and what I mean by that is not like they necessarily have millions and millions, but they've never grown up with lack. Yes. they've never seen war they've oh, never they've seen what it's them. like yeah they've never seen what it's like to have nothing they've mm-hmm. never seen what it's like to just have someone to hold you when mm-hmm. there's nothing around you they've grown up in this spoilt environment where they've had everything and some of their parents happen to have worked hard or their grandparents and they just don't appreciate anybody there's and, and values
0: there's mm-hmm. no nobody
2: yes yeah
0: or even a need for understanding you know of how or, anything you know, really works parents, because it's just there at their fingertips
2: yeah, all what I keep thinking is about. There was an episode of the Kardashians, and one of the younger girls got a Ferrari for her birthday, and she wasn't even like excited about it because there is nothing that excites you when you can have everything. So yes. that, I feel like that is the saddest part of a lifestyle where you can afford everything, and you got so much money that you that you know everybody is sorted for the rest of your life. It takes away your ability unless you're spiritual and unless you can be really happy and joyful from small little things. No present, no materialistical thing could bring you that pure joy that would bring you under different circumstances. Complete. Sophia, him.
1: you made an important point because you said there is nothing that excites you mm-hmm. when you can have everything. Yeah. The man that goes on Instagram feels like he can have every woman on there, even though he can't. In his head somewhere, he thinks, Oh yeah, I can have anybody I want. So he looks at his girlfriend sitting next to him and he's like, I'm gonna text this girl and that girl, you know, secretly slide into mm-hmm. their DMs mm-hmm. because he feels, why should I be with you when I can just DM random girls and I can have anything I want Mm -hmm. and it's that's the exact
0: point that's what's happening in relationships and also I think a lot of people are living out of ego you -hmm. know and not really looking at the you know because at the end of this when we really do look to this it's it's about you know ourselves you know and how, how we feel about ourselves with them you know we project into our life and how we live and I think you know I think that also takes me in, in, into like having to, you know, understanding your love language and, you know, what defines us and what we look for in somebody. Because I think that's it's a very important um, topic to understand that what your love language can make, help you understand and determine who you find and how you recognize and understand somebody who you can connect with.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Compatibility is everything.
1: And when you know your love language, which is, you know, There's a book called, I think it's the six or is it five love languages? Yes, it's fine. It talks about how people, you know, when they have a different language of love, Mm -hmm. it's better when the other person knows what the language is. So Mm -hmm. the other person can pander to that, you know. If someone needs more time, maybe someone likes more touching and kissing, and the other partner doesn't like it, it doesn't mean they're rejecting you. It's just that maybe they communicate differently. So, you know, one of the things that keeps marriages alive is communication. And whilst we're talking about love languages and communication, the reason I think a lot of relationships don't have, like, don't work out now is because apart from the fact that there's a lack of communication, a lot of times people are not even wanting to communicate on a deeper level with other people. Mm -hmm. They're keeping it all so superficial because they don't really want to go to that core place where it hurts, where, you know, someone really sees you for who you are. A lot of people don't want to go there. They keep that, you know, hidden deep within, and that place is going to bring out everything. And it's going to be the most beautiful thing that's actually going to get them deeper into their relationship, but they're so scared of themselves and they're so scared to face it. So even when they know their love language, they I feel like they don't express it fully.
0: You know, and I think, you know, like you said, Amanda, I totally agree, and I think love is, you know, a universal language, and I think we need to define what love means to us. You know, mm-hmm. people feel and express love differently, you know, perhaps going back to basics and truly knowing and discovering what qualities you look for in a person, understanding, and understanding your love language. I think for me, you know, love is an intense feeling of deep aff- affection, but it is also an enacted emotion. And what I mean by that is love is to feel and also to act lovingly. You know, and I believe that love, real love is not one dimension and only about the feelings of the other. It's also when a person believes in another and shows it without obligation, but with a genuine want to do so. So now that we, you know, we know our five love languages are words of affirmation, you know, receiving gifts, physical touch, quality time, and acts of service. So I'm going to put the question to you both. You know, what would you say, you know, what's your love language?
2: Well, mine is acts of service and I can, that's the main one, but I'm quite balanced with the rest of them, except for receiving gifts I scored the least on that one, because um, I've always thought that I'm like not oriented for gifts. I prefer to um, someone to help me with things or like physical touch is the second highest score for me then I have equal amount of scores on quality time and words of affirmation. But acts of service, I can explain from my past. My grandmother, when she brought me up, she was always doing things for me, like as if it was cooking for me, or buying me clothes or like dressing me, like proper taking care of someone. So I grew up in that. So for me, I learned to express love that way. And I feel like love languages is something that we learn from our childhood, like how our parents or grandparents or people that we were really close to were expressing love towards us. So then when they did something that translated to us as that they love us, somebody uses words of affirmations all the time, speaking like lovely words to one another. Somebody wants to buy gifts. Somebody wants to pet someone's cheek or just hug and kiss them. Like that is affection. And if I knew about love languages in my relationship, I think I would have learned early on that my ex-partner, he wasn't very keen on um, touch, so I would know how to love him, but I don't know what his love language was. So I felt rejected a lot of times when I was like fully like touchy-feely and he wasn't feeling the same way, but that didn't mean that he didn't love me. It was just we expressed love in very different ways.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think for me, if I were to really delve deep into my love language and look at what's key to my emotional health and what fuels my love tank, I know that words of affirmation work for me, mm-hmm. and which means I thrive on the fact that my partner pays attention and appreciate what makes me special, you know, in the form of giving compliments or, or the, you know, words of encouragement, praise, you know, emotional support, you know, something that's important and makes me feel that my partner really cares. You know, mm-hmm. or for example, like a job well done or speaking kind words, and, you know, expressing, you know, efforts and, you know, making me feel secure and wanted. You know, I think and the other thing for me would be quality time. You know, I love to be able to spend quality time with my partner and doing things and sharing experiences, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it be, theaters, dinners, a stroll in the park, holidays, you know, just creating happy mm-hmm. and memorable moments that we both can look, you know, back on. I think for most part our lifetimes tanks can be fueled by all of these but we do have primary love languages that we look to. I mean for someone like me who's been through marriage and obviously now divorce I can step back and see that my love language was our love language was very different and I can recognize that and it's as hard as it is to admit. It's good to tap into you know my failings so that I, I don't make the same problems and mistakes
1: mm-hmm. in
0: my next relationship. I think my love language is a bit of,
1: you know, mine's mostly communication. Communication's a very important thing to me in a relationship. I yeah, you know, I don't think I'm too much of a touchy-feely person. You know, maybe I'll give that like 60%, but I think communication's key and quality time, you know? And I think the love languages are important. It's a communication strategy, mm-hmm. basically. It's like about What life is in general. You have to know how to communicate to people. Going back to social media, we think it's communication, but social media is numbing people. People are not talking to each other. They're not feeling. They're not expressing emotion. They're not expressing how they really feel. And that's why I find like on social media, when people do really authentic videos about how they feel or something like that, those videos actually do really well.
0: Yeah, they're powerful, you know.
1: Yeah, and. because people feel like. Yes. I need mean, so listen to that, because that's how I feel. Yes. You know, but people are not expressing that. So everybody on social media or everything doesn't have the perfect life. They may make it seem so, but we know as human beings that everyone, life is full of problems. And it's how you tackle them mm-hmm. and how you solve them. Mm-hmm. And the love language, suggests thing is a very, very important thing in your relationship, you need to know what your communication strategy with each other is. Mm -hmm. Because if you, if communication
0: breaks down, your relationship will break down. That's right. I think for me, like you said, communication, Amanda, really is key. And, you know, transparency is the foundation of trust. And just being able to have that freedom to speak for yourself and, and allowing yourself to share your feelings and emotions and thoughts you know, and being able to express your needs and wants and dislikes is key. Ladies, any tips that we have as well for our, uh, for our audience?
2: Well, I have a quote that I found on Jay Shetty's website. Well, actually, his Instagram. And it's by a person called Vienna Faron. And it says that behind every great relationship are difficult and uncomfortable conversations we rarely get to see. Great relationships don't just fall into our laps. They require people to move through their fears and insecurities and do the hard work to move wounds into healing. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, Sophia, that was such an amazing quote. You've got to send me that quote. I've got to I put it, in I'll the, uh, it for you. <laughs> I've got to put it in the notes on the podcast as well. I think, you know, there's a lot of tips I'm going to share with anyone that's listening. And before I share the tips, I'd like to say something. If you're there thinking that, you know, marriage defines you, or that if you're not married, your world is over, it's not, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. And you know, you can find a partner at any age because the reason I'm saying this is there's a lot of women and I'm talking to you, there are women in their 50s, 60s, women in their 30s, 20s, women that feel that they have to get married before the clock. I also want to address that a bit because mm-hmm. if you're in your 20s, 30s, or even 40s and you feel like you're not finding the Fergus freeze your eggs, you know, if you can afford it, because you can still have children if you want to. A lot because I see so many women so pressurized by the fact that they feel that if they don't get married, they're never going to have children. And, you know, and you can be a single mother, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just addressing this to women in particular because I know there's a lot of Men out there today that are douchebags as well. And then I'm going to address you. And for you guys that are kind of douches that are out there that are, I mean, I'm not saying you have to commit to anyone. No one has to commit to anybody. They don't want to, but I feel like maybe it's time to look deep in yourself and, you know, just find out what you really want in life, because there's no point in becoming 60 years old and then marry a 25 year old. That's going to take all your money anyway. If you think that's true happiness, you just miss the boat. So, you know, that's just a quick address to those people. Now, coming to practical tips, I have six practical tips I'm going to quickly talk about. The first one is commit to the present, you know, always commit to whatever you're doing, whether it's your work, your relationship, to that person you're with. It's very important to commit to them right now. They're the ones with you. If you feel like it's not working out, talk to them, communicate with each other. And if it doesn't work out, don't drag it along, have a conversation. And if you have to, you know, go your separate ways for a certain amount of time and then come back together, do that. But you have to commit to being present. You have to be in the moment of that relationship, not one leg out, one leg on Instagram, not one leg out, one leg on um Facebook, you know? Yeah. You have to be there for them. You have to be able to share in their pain, their joy. You have to be there for guidance and they have to be there for you as well to be able to guide you through the life is full of all sorts of downs. And that's what the relationship is about. You must both be willing to bend. You must be willing to bend, meaning it's not going to be a straight road. Sometimes you have to bend to the left, sometimes you have to bend to the right. Nothing is perfect. You might see the rose-tinted glasses, or you might see all these beautiful Instagram pictures of the perfect couples with perfect bodies, perfect this. Even they are all photoshopped. So that is not real life. Relationships come with hard work, as Sophia said. And so you have to be able to be willing to bend. Otherwise, it's not a relationship. Number four. Don't let childhood trauma control your life. If you have issues with childhood trauma, see a therapist, see a psychologist, get into spirituality, do whatever it takes to get rid of that. Because let me tell you something about childhood trauma. Childhood trauma will fuck your relationship up. Sorry to use that word. It will, because you will be reliving, you'll be trying to get out of your partner Mm -hmm. the feelings you had as a child. So even if your partner is giving you love and she's really caring, you'd be trying to make her angry. If you always had an angry mother, you'd be trying to make her pissed off because... Mm -hmm. Those are the feelings that make you feel comfortable. So you'll be searching for them in your partner. Now, Mm -hmm. that's if you have a good partner. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to search for those feelings. Now, if you have a bad partner, which is what some people go for, they go and find that wound mate. They go find that person that's going to even help them feel even worse just because they want to go back to that familiar feeling of trauma. So if you have childhood trauma, please, please, please do not let that get into your relationships, seek help. Because I've seen a lot of relationships destroyed just by people who have a lot of trauma somewhere in their life. You know, They either get too possessive, they get jealous, or they get physical, or they want their... And it goes for both sexes, by the way, not just male or female. So that's it. And the third one is you have to lean in, always lean into your partner, even when you think, it's not working out. Be prepared to lean in, be prepared to hear what they have to say. And you should also be prepared to lean in and be loving. And last but not least is move it forward. Always move it forward. Mm -hmm. When you have a new partner and you're talking, you guys just have like you have goals in your life. You have to know where you want your relationship to be in six months, one year, one and a half years, two years. You know, I'm not saying it has to end up in marriage in two years, but you have to know that there's no use. Women, I'm talking to you out there in particular right now. If you're going out with a guy that's not told you that you're his girlfriend within a year, dump him. Because if you if you say you're dating a man and you've been having intercourse and sleeping with this guy for one year and he's still saying, oh, I'm dating that girl mm-hmm. and you want to be in a good relationship, you want to be in a solid relationship, dump that guy. Because what he is doing is he's only taking space in your life and you are not allowing your perfect partner to come in. And I know that happens to a lot of women. That's why I'm talking to us women in particular. They'll be like, oh yeah, I'm just dating him. I'm just dating. If a guy a year, I mean, for me personally, after three months, you're gone Mm -hmm. because that's my, but you know, I know some people say, oh yeah, three months is too soon. So I would say maybe after a year, if you're still dating someone and he still calls you just that girl, not his girlfriend, not his fiance, not his future wife, one of those three, then, you know, honey, it's time for you to say goodbye
0: to that guy. That's right. That's (laughs) right. 100% Amanda. Yes.
2: I just want to touch on what Amanda said on two points actually. One of the the last point that you said just bounce when he's not committing we're not calling you his girlfriend. I think for women these days, we just get really scared of losing someone and feeling scared that you're gonna end up alone. It's yes. better to move remove yourself from a situation that is making you unhappy. Find that happiness that you were missing in that relationship. Try to give yourself internally that love that you wanted from that person. Heal the triggers. There was another thing I actually touched up on it on my Insta story today. And it says, every time we are triggered, we retrogress back to the age and state of the event we haven't let go. Mm-hmm. So What I said to it is like working on yourself is the best thing you can do. Healing the hurts from the past so they no longer trigger you. Mm -hmm. so if you really start doing the internal work it's gonna hurt you're gonna probably relive the past hurts but it will slowly heal all of the hurts that you've experienced and one of the things that were triggering you will not trigger you anymore and therefore you can be your best self for the partner that's going to come into your life and if you actively work on yourself And heal all of these wounds from your childhood and the trauma that you've lived through throughout your whole life. It doesn't have to be just childhood. Whatever trauma you've experienced, if you try to heal that hurt and give yourself that internal love, trust me, your energy will vibrate on the higher level. And you will start attracting people that are going to be beneficial for you. And then you're going to recognize what you need to learn from that person just purely because your eyes are going to be open. You're almost gonna be like woken, you know what I mean? And it's all about the work that you put in yourself and then you're gonna start meeting people and really really recognizing what's good for you. So I, I now, as a 35 year old woman, I will not stick around for someone that doesn't want to commit to me, even though it hurts even though all I want to do is to be with them, but I will disappear from that and I will cut cords and I'm not going to be speaking to that person again because I do not want to share myself, my body and my energy and all the work that I've done on myself with someone that does not want to commit to me.
0: That's right, Sophia. You know, it really is all about moving away from people that do not serve you and do not bring any positivity or, you know, anything good into your life and um, in saying that you know I want to come back to just some little practical tips about even relate just relationships in itself and I think that it's important to say like you know to have realistic expectations of your partner and the relationships yeah Um, I think you know there's sometimes we allow ourselves to think of a person that doesn't really exist so we must you know have have some control in ourselves and not to think too outwardly that we forget that this is a person, this is somebody who we need to work with, Mm -hmm. you know, and we must also allow room for improvements and also for that person to make mistakes. See, so, and then I want to say, also, also, you have to try and focus on the positives, practice gratitude and focus on remembering the blessings in your life and all the good times you shared, because I think this allows us to put the harder times into perspective and allow us to, remind ourselves what we liked initially and what is good about that relationship and that person you know and try not to talk negatively and also you know to be constructive when and, and, and not to be critical there's also another point i want to make is also that you know i think we all we've touched up a, a bit about this before both of you is that you know have a positive mind and what you're saying have a, sorry, have a positive mind. And what we are saying here is when you think about ourselves positively, it's easier to think, you know, positively about others and see the good in them. Another point I'd also like to make is like be responsible for your own responses. And this is about learning how to handle conflict. I remember my father once saying to me that even if you don't agree or feel that your, you know, if you feel that your partner is in the wrong, you don't always have to comment. You don't always have to have something to say you know he said it's always sometimes it's necessary to just not to prove your point but just you know to be able to create peace it's not necessary that we always have to speak out it's about just creating the harmony finding a way that you can come together without you know always having to do things through conflict sometimes I think in know relationships maybe it could be about you know changing your your routine your roles do something different, maybe change your rules. Maybe somebody might do the cooking or, you know, somebody might put the children to bed. I mean, you know, just trying to change the dynamics within your relationships. And I think one that's very important is to never stop learning about each other throughout. Because, you know, as human beings, we evolve, we change over time. We have different goals and mindsets. You know, we grow and we mature. And with that, our experiences can change, you know, our and how we how we think and how we feel. And the key thing is, you know, another point I want to make is to spend quality time and doing the things that you, you like to do, try new things, create new memories, you know, hobbies, etc., etc. And like Sophia and Samanda both said, you know, make sure to connect spiritually and find a deeper meaning to the relationship, to this union that you've both come together to form. And that takes me, you know, to our, you know, closing statement. And I just want to thank you ladies and And let's remind ourselves that within every relationship, that communication is key and helps us break down barriers and enables us to have clarity of thought, bringing us closer and connected. We know every relationship takes a lot of work and effort. And I think what's interesting about listening to our love languages is that it gives us the potential to really connect and understand what the source of our core emotions are and in turn makes us tick as well as that of our partners. When we don't speak each other's love language, we can't recognize when we want to connect with our innermost feelings, wants and needs. And it's important, or should I say essential, to know what guides and fuels our fire. A successful marriage or relationship is built on a foundation of love, commitment, understanding and patience that evolves over time. Love takes on different forms and that form is temporary and we must evolve or it will come to an end. We all want to believe in happily ever after fairy tale of love and marriage. But the reality is that a successful relationship is about demonstrating affection. But what we must do is leave from a place of love. Our capacity to tune into an energy of love gives us the words we need when we're ready to speak up, the compassion we need when it's time to forgive and the power we need when we are lost. Marriage and relationships are never easy, but are very possible. Remember to act efficiently and effectively with purpose and meaning. And remember to be proactive in your quest to finding everlasting love. As without love, as humans, we disconnect from ourselves and also from that of society. Thank you.